University of California, San Diego, which is where we're at right now. Um, I'm here with a wonderful woman in math, and would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Eva Lozier. I'm a second year PhD here at UCSD, UC San Diego, um, in math. Sure. Um, I have really always loved math. Um, I'm kind of lucky in that way that I've sort of had this passion that's been constant throughout as long as I can remember. Um, my dad is pretty math focused too. Um, he does applied math sort of things in a government contracted research group um, very close to UCSD actually at a, a company called Lighthouse. And so he was always giving me math problems, and that was a real way that we bonded when I was growing up. I also sort of wondered if I was just so curious and talkative and obnoxious that it was <laughs> the best way for my parents to shut me up was just to give me, sometimes when I, sometimes my parents would just give me, or my dad, or like a a camp counselor, once they heard about this, would give me just like very long computations <laughs> to do when we, I was at my dad's office and he needed to get some work done. Um, so I was always very interested in trying to find patterns. I remember being five or six and playing in my mind with these diagrams of squares and sort of putting them into different formations to try to figure out patterns. Um, and the first thing that I realized at that point in time from sort of drawing or placing together in my head different grids was that the nth square was the sum of the first n odd numbers. Can you just figure that out yourself? That was from imagining putting a square down that's the first odd number and then if you want to fill into another square you have to fill in one on the top one on the bottom and then add one mm -hmm. so then you have three and then if you want to get the next odd number you have to fill in two on the top two on the bottom and then add one I guess two on the top two on the side and then add one so then you get five this is probably not something I should be saying over podcast, but... <laughs> well, your hand diagrams are very helpful for show up with the visuals. Anyways, I was always very excited and very um, enthralled with these, these small mathematical problems or patterns that I would try to find that sort of grew and evolved throughout my life until... I felt sure that I wanted to do math research as my career. That's really cool. Thanks. <laughs> it's really interesting. It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of similar to what I did with my dad. He's an electrical engineer. Oh, cool. And when I was, I was specifically remember in like sixth grade or something, we were supposed to be learning about circuits in class, and so I was like, "Hey, dad, do you like have extra batteries and stuff?" He's like, "Yes." <laughs> whole like pack of like batteries and wires and things like that. And he just says, go to town and start making light bulbs. Yeah. Resistances and things like that. And then I mean, it ended up in electrical engineering, but pretty close. So. 
weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. That sounds very, yeah, very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of talked about like how you decided to study math because it had just always been something you're really interested in. Did you like take advanced classes in high school and stuff like that, and just start college like in super advanced math and stuff like that? So I did. I did take advanced classes in high school. I was very lucky that my high school offered some pretty advanced classes. So when I got into college, I was very well prepared, um, and I got to take a lot of cool math classes in college. Which was your favorite? <laughs> I'm curious. So my favorite class, probably, or a pivotal class for me, was our more difficult real analysis sequence. Um, the class was in measure theory, um, which is sort of a higher level real analysis. It was the seventh semester of real analysis where I was. And the reason I loved it so much was that it was so difficult. <laughs> and I remember the professor would give us three problem sets a week instead of one. Wow. And the class became a little bit consuming, probably one of the more consuming classes of my time in undergrad. And when Thanksgiving break came, the Wednesday that we were let out for Thanksgiving break, we had a class in the morning. And in that class, he gave us a take-home exam for our midterm. Oh. And it was due the Monday that we came back for Thanksgiving break. And so I ended up basically locking myself in my room for Thanksgiving break and just staring at this exam. And the fact that I enjoyed locking myself in my room and staring at this exam and that I enjoyed the, uh, the opportunity to have something so difficult that I would think about it for four days made me realize that I should be a mathematician. This is a lot. <laughs> Is that like the turning point, or you already decided, or what was, was you, did you start as a math major? I started as a math major. I wasn't sure if I was gonna go into math or go into something related to math. I knew that I really liked math. I had I have lots of other interests um, that I could have gone into, and I think that I it took me a long time to get the confidence to say that I was gonna go into math. Um, and I think that it was around that time when I realized first that I really loved math enough to do it. Um, and second, over and over again, I had enrolled in classes being worried that I wouldn't be able to do it. And over and over again, I was able to do it. And I think that that was one of, that was the hardest class I'd, I'd enrolled in up to that time. And the fact that I was able to do it and I did perfectly fine in the class added to that data set that said, this is going to be fine. You can just keep going. Um, yeah, I figured you could pass a class that hard. Wow. Well, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard for me at the time um, based on where I was. But I think that's the other thing is that um, I do believe that at a certain point, math gets really hard for everyone. And I feel like I've had a lot of women ask me, like, I'm in this class and it's really hard for me. Should I not keep going in math? Mm -hmm. And I think that most people who do math, part of the draw is that it's really hard. And that if it's not really hard, 
that's more of a reflection of the fact that you're not challenging yourself as much as you could than of the fact that you're meant to be a mathematician or something like that. Um, and so I think it's important to remember, I guess, that like math is supposed to be hard. It's perfectly fine if it's hard. And it just depends whether you like doing things that are hard like this. Because you'll just keep doing more hard things and you'll keep getting smarter and then you'll be able to keep doing more hard things. <laughs> what do you do when things get hard? Because when I say math, I don't think it's hard. I just kind of like, I look at it, I look away, and I look at it, and I look away, and I ask someone for help. Like, <laughs> when you're doing your research and there's no answer, no question, what do you do? <laughs> there are a few options. One of them, one of the things that I have is a lot of hobbies outside of math. So I'll stare at a problem really seriously and I'll work on it. Um, a lot of the times I'll have, luckily or unluckily, I have sort of a spitfire brain that'll come up with a bunch of different ideas, many of which are wrong. A lot <laughs> of other people in math are much more like this comes after this comes after this. Um, but I will follow all the different pathways in my head until I sort of run out. And then I'll usually take a break. In undergrad, I used to go do the dishes because my problems were shorter. So I could look at the problem, think about it, think as much as I could, realize I'd hit a stopping point, go do the dishes. And there was something about getting up and doing something very different that was much more mindless and maybe somehow moving my body or something like that, used a different part of my brain. Um, that would allow it to sort of simmer in the back of my mind and then I come back to it. And that's still kind of what I do. Usually I, I have work sessions. A lot of the times I try to do like 45 minutes on, 15 minutes off, where I'm really focused and then I'm not focused. I take a break and then I'm really focused. And then after I get through a few of those sessions, I'll probably be stuck or my brain will be fried. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And I will go surfing or I'll read a book or I'll go for a run or something like that. And I'll do some completely different activity that I'm really excited about that's going to totally involve me and take me away from the problem. That's a good way to do stuff. <laughs> Thanks. It's okay to ask for help though. The other thing is that as, as a PhD student, you have an advisor. So when you get really stuck, there's someone to ask. <laughs> what kinds of things do you ask your advisor? Um, so I should be completely clear that since I haven't advanced to candidacy yet, I don't have an official advisor. Although my potential advisor, who I'm working with right now, um, what I've realized is that it all gets very complex, everything you're working on. And in your head, it's like you're in this whole little space of your problem. And you know the ins and outs of that space. And you can write something down on the paper that's not quite what you meant and look at it and know what you meant. But the thing that I'm realizing is more and more important when I talk to my potential advisor is that she's a real expert and what I need to do is boil down what I'm thinking about until sort of into sort of an intuitive picture of the problem that I have and explain why things are why I think things are happening and then ask her where to go from there. Um, because she can look at things and know immediately something that it might take me 
years to figure out, probably. (laughs) So really, it's difficult to describe, but you have to come up with a way to give someone who's really an expert an idea of the ins and outs of your problem and so that they can give you a direction to go in. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can show an equation, but you have to sort of like have an understanding of where all the terms came from and stuff like that. Yeah. What's the research that you're doing? Right now I'm doing research in stochastic processing networks. Stochastic processing networks are, I guess, kind of an exciting field of probability or maybe applied probability, you could say. I sometimes feel like I'm in between um, theoretical and applied math. That's why I'm saying that. Um, And stochastic processing networks are used to model congestion. Yeah. So problems I've looked at or problems I've read about have been loosely modeling things like if there are too many people on the Wi-Fi, um, if a bunch of people are calling in to a call center um, and they need to be directed to the right place or wait on hold or something like that. Um, right now I'm looking at how an enzyme would process proteins. If they all show up and it can only process, it takes so long to process each one and they show up at each. And the thing that makes it very interesting for me is that without randomness there are a lot of situations where congestion doesn't even happen like if you have some help desk and people show up on average once every minute and it takes on average a minute to help each person then if you were to try to make some completely deterministic system where at the beginning of every minute someone shows up and it takes exactly a minute to serve that person there's not going to be a line. But if you add just a little bit of randomness, like 50% of the time two people show up and 50% of the time no people show up mm-hmm. and it takes a minute to serve each person, there will be a long line. There is a result that shows that in that case, the line will tend to infinity. Really? Yes. That's kind of scary, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of what's happening where we see long lines and we see a lot of congestion wouldn't be happening if we could predict when people would show up. It's That's sort of an obvious way to say it, is that there wouldn't be congestion if we could predict exactly what people were going to do. That's right, so we can't quite predict it. And that's what makes it a really cool probability problem. Interesting. <laughs> what do you want to do with that in the future? I'm not sure. Um, I, well, what I do know is that I want to be a research mathematician, probably doing things that are pretty similar to what I'm doing now. I don't know where that job will pop up for me. I don't know if it'll be in academia or at a company. I just know that I want to continue to do math research. Would you ever want to be a professor? I think probably. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> I like teaching. You are really good today, but I have to be honest with you. Thanks. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> that was fun. Your um your section was really fun. Oh, good. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> it was late at night, but we tried. 
absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if I had any control over... If I were picking the time, that was not the time that I would have picked, but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So kind of jumping onto a different topic, um, when you were RTA, you told us that you were part of the Women in Math. Um, was that the grad student or just the overall um, organization here on campus? So I'm currently the president of UCSD's student chapter of AWM. Um, just because it's a student chapter doesn't mean that we don't have lots of faculty and postdocs involved. We actually, I think a lot of our, a good portion of our involvement is from faculty and uh, postdocs. Um, however, right now we're just sort of, since we just restarted the group, um, we don't have a huge undergraduate component to the group yet. So what do you use so our specific goals for this chapter this year are to build community for our department and for women in mathematics in our department, uh, to provide a mentorship um, for younger women that are coming on through both in the university and hopefully eventually outside of the university, uh, and to attract more diverse groups um, to come to our graduate program. Those are good goals. Thanks. <laughs> what that's actually involved has been organizing lots of events in which women and allies can come and talk about issues related to women or women can meet other women in the department or undergraduates can get some advice from, from graduate student women um, in a space that's sort of woman to woman. Um, organizing some general social events in the department to sort of build the sense of community. Um, and talking a little bit to women that come to our department and try to give them an honest picture of what it's like to be here and how it is for us. How is it? What's your experience as a woman in math here? I like being here a lot. Um, one of the cool things about UCSD is that we have more women on faculty than most other universities, I think we used to have the most women in faculty in any department in the entire U.S., but really? university, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> university of Washington uh, beat us out, though, recently. Good for them, I guess. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, but <laughs> we still have a lot of women in math, and something that I was noticing when the we were having our visit day for prospective students is they were asking us about our time here and what our relationships were like with our advisors and everyone in the conversation that I was with even though not everyone was a woman everyone had a female advisor interesting and that's I think a pretty powerful thing is to have so many strong female um, role models around you during your graduate career um, that's a really nice thing. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that said, the department, I wish that, sometimes I wish that we had more women in my program. Mm -hmm. um, I'm finally starting to get to know more of the women because of AWM, but when I first got here, there were, we were sufficiently outnumbered that sometimes 
I felt a little starved for contact with other women. <laughs> um, but now I think it's, now that we've started having social events and stuff for women to meet other women, and now that I've joined the Y and joined a book club and done some other things with my life, <laughs> it's much less overwhelming. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that because we're in California and because people at this university are pretty conscious of issues like this, I feel like I currently experience, and maybe because we just have so many women faculty, I'm currently experiencing the smallest amount of discrimination I feel like I've ever experienced. Really? That's awesome. Yeah, it's, I feel very comfortable in our department, which is a very nice thing. That's wonderful to hear, oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you not feel that way at Andrew's place? So I did my undergrad at Brown University, which I also had a very good time there, and it was very different. We had an applied math department that was very large and very well known, and then we had a pure math department that's also well regarded, but very small. Mm -hmm. So we, the department was in this little yellow house that was donated to the university, and there I feel like the sense of community was so much more immediate because the department was so small. Mm -hmm. We were in this house and we were all hanging out in the living room and talking about our problems and things tend to be a little more relaxed there because it's such a smaller university and a smaller department. So the professors would have sometimes their whole class over for a barbecue oh or <laughs> something like this. Um, and so in that way, it was very welcoming. Um, however, because it was so small, it was much more likely that there just wouldn't be any other women at an event or something like that. And I think that when I first started going to the department and becoming more involved in the department, I would see very few women. Like the first time, one of my friends, who's also, who was also a woman in the department, she asked me, would you please come to math tea with me? There are no women there. It's so awful. Will you come? And I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, she didn't say it's awful. She just said, there aren't, she said there aren't any other women. Will you please come with me? It would make it better. Yeah. Um, and I think that we sort of broke in to the group um, me and some other women, and then it sort of snowballed, and then there were a lot more women around. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so it's sort of two different, two different situations. I can't imagine going to that event. It's just no women. I had gotten kind of used to it, however. That is one of the drawbacks. For example, one year I was there, we, they had six people in their incoming graduate class, and they had no women. Because women are, I don't know, one in 10 or one in six, so chances are there are gonna be years if you have like six, that there just won't be any women in the class, or there'll just be one woman in the class, or something like that. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh, you gotta take that. <laughs> Yeah. I think the worst class I ever had in terms of like the 
people who ended up going to early college because they were just so smart, it was amazing. But I'm at the real three moment of the class by the end of the period, I was just like, so much masculine energy in here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Association for Women in Mathematics. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and you said that you were restarting it, was it did not exist last year? Um, it was sort of on hold. There was a chapter up until about five years ago or so here at UCSD, and then I think our numbers of women dropped to the point where there weren't enough people to have a student chapter, to want to have a student chapter. And so now we're restarting it. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Are you the one who like did the restart, or was it like team effort, or what would you say? I would say both. Yeah. I um I would say that I spearheaded a team effort to reestablish an AWM. That's and, awesome. Yeah, we've gotten a ton of support. We got a lot of support from our graduate chair at the time and we got a lot of support from the Student Success Center, and we've gotten a lot of support from a lot of faculty members in the department. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Where do you see it going in the future? Is it gonna be kind of like going along the lines of what it has been, or do you think it'll change? I think it, there's no way it won't change because it's so new. Yeah. I think it's changed since last quarter, um, and I think that what it becomes and how it'll change will be a response to what people in the department want from it and what people need from the group. That's good. <laughs> I, I guess I aspire to have the way it change reflect the needs of women in the department. That'll be really good. Are you hoping to get more undergrads in it soon? Yes. So far, we have been in contact with Society for Undergrads in Mathematics, um, SUMS here, which is an undergraduate group in the math department on campus, and they are really cool. You should look them up if you are a math major here. Um, <laughs> and I think that by working with them, we'll be able to sort of start reaching out to undergraduates and make our mentorship for women program a little bit bigger and, and things like this. Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks. Are you hoping to have the mentorship program be between faculty of students or like student to student? Or what do you, what's your imagination for that? So, so far we've had graduate student, a graduate student panel answering questions of a group of undergraduate students. Um, and then at the end of that, a lot of our awesome faculty and postdocs came out and talked to the undergraduate women about different things that was going that were going on with them. Um, so I think that hopefully what will happen is that it will be graduate student women talking to undergraduate student women, postdoc women talking to graduate student women, faculty women talking to postdoc women, with a little bit of maybe one person on the undergraduate panel is a faculty or a postdoc and the rest are graduate students.
with a little bit mixed in from, yeah. That sounds really cool. <laughs> oh my god. That's really exciting to see like, how it might change and grow and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I kind of wanted to ask, do you have like a favorite story um, about working in math with your own experience or someone else's? Could you just tell a story that you remember? I think one really good story came from a really talented mathematician at my undergraduate institution. Um, and she once told us when we were talking about diversity and inclusion issues and being a woman in math, she told us that during her graduate, her time as a graduate student, she had received one or two awards and upon receiving some sort of prestigious award, she found herself telling her advisor I feel like I'm just a fake. I feel like I'm just faking it. And this is this is before people talk so much about imposter syndrome. But lots of I think lots of women feel this way that they're sort of just faking it. And someone's gonna find out that they don't really belong here or something like this. And what her advisor said to her was, just keep faking it then. It's going great, you know? she really took that to heart um like if this is what faking it looks like just keep going just keep doing it <laughs> and to hear that someone who was so incredibly successful that we all looked up to so much had felt this way and to hear that advice of just keep going even if you don't feel like you're good enough if you just keep doing it then you'll have done it that's kind of the thought um I think was powerful for a lot of us undergraduate women when she told the story. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome. That's just so useful too. <laughs> yeah, I try to, I try to take that forward and, and tell people basically like, when math gets hard, just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> this one little bit and then this next little bit and then this next little bit then after enough time <laughs> after enough time it'll work out yeah <laughs> thank gosh <laughs> do you have any advice that you give to women enough? I guess a big thing is just be patient with yourself like it's okay if you don't get it right away like we've been talking about um you're gonna keep getting smarter. Everyone, a lot of people feel like you have to just be born a certain way uh, in order to do mathematics. But of course, if you could just be born knowing how to be a mathematician, then all of this university stuff would be a little <laughs> pricey. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> It's okay. Basically, it's okay if you don't feel like you're smart enough because the whole point is that what we're doing here is trying to get smarter and trying to understand more. And you'll just keep getting smarter and keep getting better at understanding things. Um, 
I guess in the last thing is that this is just to people in general who are studying math. If you start to get to that point, especially at the end of the semester, where it's like your brain feels foggy and it's like you're walking through molasses when you're trying to think. Um, there are a lot of things. It's a signal that you need to take care of yourself. And there are a lot of things that I didn't do in undergrad that I do now that keep sort of the brain fog away at bay that include eating my vegetables and exercising and getting enough sleep and taking breaks when I need to. And the really basic stuff that people tell you to do that a lot of times you don't do in college. <laughs> I couldn't find myself forgetting that too. Yeah. <laughs> Eat a healthy meal that includes something green. <laughs> yes, yeah, something green and some healthy fats. Healthy fats apparently make your brain work. <laughs> I shouldn't be quoting these things without uh, some sort of citation, but you know. <laughs> Graduate, I will admit there were times when I would have a pint of Ben and Jerry's or something for dinner when I was <laughs> and that did not help anything I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Bye.